couple years ago, a notorious drug trafficker by the name of Clavino da Silva attempted the unthinkable and a last-ditch effort to escape from prison. Da Silva was a leader in a feared Brazilian drug ring. He was supposed to be serving a 72-year sentence, but he had a plan to get out of it. His plan was odd, though. He didn't try to cut a hole in the wall. Uh, He didn't try to sneak through the ventilation or climb through the sewage pipes. He didn't even try to ride out in the laundry baskets, which are all kind of the prison break cliches, you know. No, he actually decided to disguise himself as his 19-year-old daughter and try to walk out the front door. And so in his plan, he had his daughter come in for an approved visit, only His daughter brought with her jeans and a shirt, even a bra and a jacket, a wig, and most importantly, one of those silicon masks that looked just like her. I don't know if you've seen the old Mission Impossible movies. Anybody seen those movies? Like these silicon masks literally look exactly like the person you are trying to look like. And so she brought in one of those. And so she walked in. Everything was going according to plan. In fact, the plan almost worked. He got dressed up in his teenage girl outfit, skinny jeans, wig, glasses, and all, and started walking out with a group of seven other women. He would have made it out, but the only problem was that even though he looked like a teenage girl, he walked like a middle-aged man. The guards spotted him, they held him back, and after a little questioning, they figured out his true identity. I actually have a picture so that you can see. (laughs) Isn't that wild? As smart as he was, and as close as he probably thought he was to freedom, in the end, he was found out. In the end, he was sent back to his cell. I think in a lot of ways, that's what's going on with Jonah on his way to Tarshish. God had told him to go. Jonah had said no. God had told him to tell the Assyrians to repent, but he decided that it would be better for him to resign. And so now he is on the run, trying to escape the presence of the God who's everywhere. My, my daughter just turned two last week, and she uh, went through this phase not too long ago where she thought she could disappear if she covered her eyes. <laughs> if she closed her eyes, then you couldn't see her. Well, she couldn't see us, and so she assumed that we couldn't see her. It's essentially what Jonah's trying to do here. He's like, I'm going to run away from God. I'm going to close my eyes and pretend he's not there, and maybe he won't be able to see me either. Took the fish magnet off of his bumper, hung up his megaphone, and he tried to disguise himself as a civilian. Here's the thing. I think in his mind, he thought he was getting away with it. He thought everything was going according to plan. He made it all the way to the port city of Joppa, where there just so happened to be a ship going to the edge of the world. (laughs) He paid his fare. He boarded. He's on his way. In his mind, he is so close to freedom, he can almost taste it. And so he goes into the bottom of the ship, and he falls asleep. Of course, as we're about to find out, as we just read, nothing could have been further from the truth. While Jonah might have looked like an innocent civilian, to God, he still was a fugitive prophet. He's about to see what happens when you try to run away from God. 
Guys, last week, if you were here, um, I'll, I'll just remind you, if you weren't here, you can go back and, and listen. It's on the website. But last week, we talked about the motives behind Jonah's disobedience. And we looked at the reasons that he came up with to rebel against God. And um, just to, re- to remind you, the reason that Jonah is running from God is because God's call on Jonah's life grinded up against what Jonah really wanted the most. His longings for safety, his desires to see justice, his own ability to understand why, what in the world God was doing. Those are the things he wanted more than anything. And so God's command really rubbed up against those things. And so he said, you know what, I, I'm just going to resign. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bail. But what's really striking um, about our deep dive into Jonah's motives last week was that more often than not, we are Jonah. More often than not, God tells us to do something and it rubs up against what we really want. Sometimes it doesn't make sense and so we, we say no. And that was what we, we saw last week. He's no different from you and me. Every single one of us have a really hard time giving up our autonomy, don't we? I mean, that is like, that is the thing you have to give up to follow Jesus and that is why people don't follow Jesus. Because you have to say, I'm not king, you're king. You don't just worship him on a cross, you worship him on a throne. You put a crown on his head. Worship him as king. So more often than not, we're just like Jonah. God says go, we say no. And so the big question that I want to ask today that, that we're going to look at today is what happens when we say no to God? Are you so excited you came today? <laughs> Let me just warn you, the first three points are not fun, but the last point's amazing, okay? So just bear with me. What happens when we say no to God? What happens when we read the word of God? What happens when we hear a command from God, even today? What happens when we receive a call from God and we act like our way is better? What happens when we say no to God? There are four really important insights in our text that answer this question. This is what I want to show you today. They serve as lessons for us. They serve as warnings for us when we're tempted to follow in Jonah's footsteps. And so we need to hear these warnings today. And more importantly, we need to heed these warnings today. So four lessons from Jonah's rebellion. First, whenever you say no to God there will always be a ship of escape. Look back at verse three. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he just so happened to find a ship going to Tarshish. <laughs> Literally, he found a ship ready to take him to the edge of the world. If you weren't here last week, Tarshish is as far west as you can get. Nobody had explored beyond that yet. Just serendipitous. Happy coincidence. Good luck. How convenient was, how how lucky was was Jonah? He's trying to, to get out west and there just so happens to be a ship going as far west as you can possibly go. What are the odds of that? Don't you think that's a sign? (laughs) I'm on the right path after all. God must not be mad at me. This is going way better than I had planned. 
So he pays his fare, he gets on board, finds a bed, and he falls asleep. Guys, whenever you say no to God, every single time, there will always be a convenient ship ready to take you where you want to go. Every single time. But this is what we need to understand. That ship, as convenient as it might be, is not confirmation that you're going in the right direction. It's not exactly a sign from God. And it really doesn't matter if you feel peace about it either. It's actually confirmation that we have an enemy who will do whatever he possibly can to make sure we stay on the wrong path. Have you ever thought about that? Guys, God will never provide transportation for you or for me. Have you ever justified your sin by pointing to how well everything is working out for you in the process? I was talking to a friend not too long ago um, who loves to get high. Let's just be frank with you, okay? Um, and uh, he knows it's illegal. He, he knows what God has said about obeying the law. You know, maybe someday it will be legal. That's a different conversation. Right now, it's not legal. He's breaking the law. He knows it's wrong. But he, he's like, Ben, um, I just did really well in my job interview. And I did so well that I got the job. And that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't high. And, and he's justifying it. He, he literally says, I've never been closer to God than in this moment. I've never had more peace than I do when I'm high. I've never had more focus than I have when I'm high. I wouldn't be doing so well right now if it weren't for this drug. God is looking out for me, so it can't be wrong. Literally, this is a conversation. No exaggeration. I, I've seen people leave their spouse and say things like, well, guys, I, w- I was miserable in my marriage. And then I just met this person that was too good to be true. I mean, it was like we were made for each other. And I felt like that was a gift from God because God wants me to be happy. God doesn't want me to be miserable in my marriage. It's going so well right now. Guys, what if the ship isn't actually a gift from your father? What if it's actually a trap set by your enemy? I love how one author put it. If you always allow your eyes to wander, there will almost always be a girl who will return your flirtations. If you want out of your marriage, there will always be a too-good-to-be-true relationship that presents itself. If you tolerate greed in your life, there will always be a great deal on something to buy or a way to cheat or steal to get ahead. There's always a ship. It's always convenient. It's always like, holy cow, this is better than I ever thought. Whenever you say no to God, there will be an escape. You have an enemy whose entire existence is consumed by making sure it's ready and it's waiting. That's the first lesson. Second lesson, whenever you say no to God, there will always be a storm of judgment. This is where it gets fun. And we're going to spend a lot of time here because there's a lot to get into. But look back at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The word hurled 
in this passage is so fascinating to me. And the imagery is really profound because it's the same word used in, in 1 Samuel 18 where King Saul picks up a spear and hurls it at David to try to kill him. It's an incredible picture of God's power and control over creation. He throws the wind in the same way a warrior throws a spear. And there's some irony here that, that you just need to see. It's, it's kind of funny because literally, if you were to read the entirety of chapter 1, which we're going to, you know, week by week, everyone and everything obeys God except for Jonah. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Sounds like Jesus, right? Except for this prophet. And then notice that the text says that the wind that God hurled at the ship was a great wind. This is also meant to be ironic. If you have your Bible, circle that word great and then go back up to where the author is describing Nineveh because how is Nineveh described? As a great city. I love how one commentator pointed this, this irony out. He said, since Jonah refused to be sent into a great city, God sent him a great storm. There's irony jam-packed in the Bible, by the way, guys. This is the lesson we need to learn. Whenever we say no to God, we're saying yes to a storm. There will always be calamity and disaster. Now, before we move any further, let me just say every storm we face in our lives is not necessarily a punishment for our sin. I know that some of you are going to hear me say that, so I'm not saying that. And I know some of you actually live like that. You believe this. It's almost like a Christian version of karma. Like you get a flat tire in the pouring rain. And so you're like, well, God must be punishing me for skipping church this past week. Or you get laid off from work. And so you think God is getting back at you for not giving to the homeless guy on the side of the road. Or maybe your girlfriend breaks up with you and so you think, man, God's punishing me for that time I lied when I was a kid. A lot of people live like this. It's a, it's a Christian, you know, Jesus-ized version of karma. But here's the thing, guys. Just because you get a flat tire in the pouring rain, just because you get laid off, just because you have a girl break up with you, None of those things mean that God is punishing you. That's not how it works. In fact, let me give you three other reasons that you'll experience a storm just really briefly. The book of Job shows us that sometimes we'll go through storms because Satan wants to ruin our faith. Jesus shows us that sometimes we'll go through storms because the world hates our faith. And then James 1 tells us that sometimes we'll go through storms because God actually wants to strengthen our faith. And so just because you're going through a storm doesn't mean that you're being punished for your sin. That's not what I'm saying here. Please believe that. There's no such thing as Christian karma. Every disaster we face in this life isn't necessarily a consequence of sin, but this is the truth. Every sin that we commit will lead to disaster. That's the truth, guys. Sometimes the disaster comes from God himself. He hurls it like the wind. And sometimes it just comes from sin. It's just the natural effect of sin itself. Look at these Proverbs with me and I'll show you what I mean. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who's arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. It's a promise. Proverbs 21, 7. The violence of the wicked will sweep them away. 
because they refuse to do what is just. You see, that's kind of saying the opposite. It's not God punishing the wicked. It's the violence of the wicked is what's going to punish them. Their own sin is the punishment. And so sometimes the storm comes directly from God, and other times it's the result of our own sin. But either way, sin always has a storm attached to it. Saying no to God is sin, right? That's really all it is. You see, the truth is that if we violate the purpose and the design of things, like if we sin against our bodies, if we sin against our loved ones and our friends and our relationships, if we sin against our society, they strike back. There are always consequences. God created us to know him. God created us to love him. God created us to worship him. That's the design of things. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. And so if we violate his commands and his calls, what are we doing? We're actually violating our own design. And when we violate our own design, everything fights back. This is when things begin to break down. I want to give you a couple of examples of this because you need to see this and you need to believe this. Uh, let's just give a couple of examples of how sin leads us into destruction. It leads us into calamity. Things begin to break down when we violate our design. Think about lying, okay? I think lying is one of the most perfect examples of how this plays out. Because if you build your life on lies, it's going to eventually break down every single time. Even the smallest white lie can grow and it can spread like fire until it dominates your entire existence. One lie leads to another, then you have to come up with another lie to cover up the past lie, and you're losing track of all your lives and you're building this Ponzi scheme of lies, this house of cards, and all it takes is just one little gust of wind and it all comes crumbling down. Your life is ruined. The sin of lying, it comes with its own storms, doesn't it? The sin of lying comes with anxiety. It comes with stress. It comes with this fear of being found out. You can't sleep at night. You wake up in a cold sweat of, what if they find out? Always having to look over your shoulder, always having to cover your tracks. Ultimately, your life is ruined because that's not how you were designed to live. You know, you've heard of Bernie Madoff, right? The, The legendary Ponzi scheme guy, defrauded, I can't remember how many people, how many clients he had, but it was like $65 billion over a period of 17 years. Um, He said something so fascinating after he was caught. He said, I wish that they had caught me six years ago. I wish that they had caught me eight years ago. Why is that? Because his life had been spinning out of control for two decades and lie upon lie and stress and the anxiety and the fear in this house of cards, that's no way to live. There's no rest in that. There's no peace in that. There's no happiness in that. He had literally been living in the storm of his lies for 17 years. And now he's spending 150 in prison if he lives that long. Sometimes God hurls a wind and then sometimes he just lets sin run its course because it's its own punishment. Are you following me? Are you with me? All right, let me think about one of, 
one that might be a little bit closer to home because I don't think any of you are running Ponzi schemes. I hope not. Goodness, how bad would that be? Um, we're in South End, right? What a, what a beautiful, wonderful, incredible neighborhood. Cafes, restaurants, cool little shops. You drive up and down South Boulevard. They got a new mill. You got a flower shop in that mill. Owner's right here if you need flowers. Atherton Mill, it's there. So much cool stuff. And you know what else is in South End? Tons and tons and tons of bars. Just like beer flows in South End like milk and honey did in the promised land. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Okay, don't hear me wrong. Um, drunkenness isn't a problem. It's just Thursday night. <laughs> it's Friday night. It's Saturday night. It's, it's like every night of the week in South End. It, if you're an adult and you're looking for a place to play, you've come to the right place. So, so when God says, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to indiscretion, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't make sense to you. That's a hard one. It's a clear command, but you can't think of one good reason why God would put that call on your life. Doesn't he want you to be happy? Why does he care if you have a good time? What's the big deal about getting drunk? Guys, the thing about God's commands that you need to see, this is so important, especially if you're new to church. I'm so glad you're here. Is that every single one of God's commands is actually an invitation to live life the way it was designed to be lived. When he tells us not to get drunk but be filled with the Spirit, he isn't trying to ruin our fun. He's actually trying to lead us into happiness and lead us into peace and lead us into purpose. He's telling us this is how you live life to the fullest. And so when we say no to him, we're essentially saying no to live life the way it was designed to be lived. I can't think of one good reason so I'm just going to do this. When we violate his commands, we violate our own bodies. Things begin to break down. Calamity and disaster are close at hand. Just think about what happens right after you get drunk. I mean, this is not hard to prove. I, think about your own life. Think about this past week. Think about last night. Think about how you feel right now. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here and hungover. I really am. You get sick. Right after, you get sick. <laughs> Headaches, nausea, vomiting. If you do it enough, your brain will get jacked up, your liver will get jacked up, your gut will get jacked up. Your relationships, your work, ultimately your happiness, all gets jacked up. Everything begins to break down. It's so crazy how we've bought this lie. But the truth is that this activity that's supposed to bring us happiness and joy and excitement actually brings a storm instead. I don't have to show you the stats. I don't have to show you how many marriages have been broken because of alcohol. I don't have to show you how many kids have been abused because of alcohol, how many wives have been abused. I don't have to tell you how many people have lost their lives because of alcohol. The data's out there. When you violate God's commands, you violate life the way it was designed to be. And when you do that, everything starts to break down. 
God's command, God's call, every single one, even if you can't think of a good reason, is a call into the good life. It's a call into actual happiness that doesn't lead to sickness. Do you see that? So when you say no to God, guys, you're saying yes to disaster every single time. We have to believe that. I love how one author put it. It's an old saying. I don't know who said it. Sin will take you farther than you ever want to go, keep you longer than you ever want to stay, and cost you more than you ever want to pay. Farther than you ever want to go, longer than you ever want to stay. It's just one drink. It's just 10 drinks. It's just 20 drinks. Why do I feel so empty inside? It'll cost you more than you ever want to pay. This is true of lying. It's true of drunkenness. It's true of pornography. It's true of gossip. It's true of bitterness. It's true of resentment. It's true of envy. It's true of greed. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Every time. Saying no to God is saying yes to the storm. Now here's another thing that you need to understand about storms that come along with sin sometimes you don't see them and sometimes you don't feel them right away and this is where it's so dangerous because you actually feel like you're getting away with it Jonah's storm was swift it was violent it was clearly supernatural it was clearly God just chucking a wind at his boat out of nowhere and all of a sudden they're all about to die most of the time that does not happen to us You don't get struck with lightning every time you lie. You ever have the atheist professor who's like, if there's a God, I'm calling you out, man. Strike me down. Come on. Where's the lightning? And then nothing happens. And he's like, see, (laughs) there isn't a God. Like, that's how we live. We live like that atheist. We sin. Nothing happens. And we're like, all right. I guess I can do that one again. (laughs) Maybe he's not really there. Or maybe he just doesn't really care. You don't get swallowed by a fish every time you get drunk. You don't get an STD every time you have sex outside of marriage. And so I think more often than not, we feel like we're getting away with sin because there isn't a storm right in front of us. We don't see it. We don't feel it. No one got hurt. But the truth is, guys, that More often than not, the storms that come along with our sin are more subtle than lightning. And they take a little bit longer before they start rearing their ugly heads. We don't start feeling them until later. I am absolutely terrified of spiders, but mostly brown recluses, okay? I've told stories about brown recluses in the past. Um, Brown recluses are these little brown spiders and they're recluses. They live in the corners of your closets and your sheds, and they're there. And it doesn't matter if you don't see them, they're there. And um, every time Caroline's like, hey, can you go get that box out of the back of the closet? I'm like, oh. I get, I get like legitimately sweaty palms and, and, you know, like a tight chest. And I'm like, I don't want to go back there. Like, they're going to fall on me, you know? Um, the thing about brown recluses, though, is that they are incredibly poisonous, but um, when they bite you, 
it, it takes a while to figure it out, okay? Um, and this is one of the reasons I'm scared to death of them. They, they, when they bite you, it doesn't hurt. They have really small fangs, and so you're not even going to feel the bite. You're just like going to notice three to eight hours later that your skin starts to get red and tender, and then it starts to burn a little bit. If it's a bad bite, after three to five days, the venom will start to spread and the wound will expand a little bit. You're like, hmm, I thought that was just a, a random zit on my hand. Why is it getting bigger? After seven to 14 days, the, the ulcer can grow by inches. And now you're like, okay, uh, this is not a zit. This is not good. Three weeks later, the site of the wound starts to develop sort of like this dead tissue. It's black and it's big and it's a, it's a scab and it's all over everything. And sometimes it actually decays to the point where you can see underneath your skin. Really fun stuff. My aunt had a recluse bite on her foot. And this is why I'm terrified of him because she told me the story when I was a kid. Um, she said after, she, it was in her shoe. This is why every time, you, every time you put a shoe on, you shake those things out, Okay. <laughs> It, it was, it was uh, in her shoe, and she got bit, and after a, like a couple of months, her skin had decayed to the point where she could see her bone and her foot. So now you can be scared of recluses just like me. Um, guys, more often than not, sin bites like a brown recluse. It doesn't hurt at first. The storm doesn't come with a raging wind. Lightning doesn't strike. You don't get caught. No one gets hurt. But all the while, it is working and it's ruining and it's decaying underneath the surface. We have to believe this. No one gets away with anything. That's actually really hopeful. And there's so much hope in the fact that God is judged, that he sees everything because we've all been sinned against. And there's a lot of evil in the world. None of it is going to go unpunished. When we say no to God, there will always be a storm every single time. I got to speed it up a little bit. Hang with me. Whenever you say no to God, number three, there will always be a wake of destruction Guys, we don't live in isolation, and so there is always collateral damage to our sin. In other words, the storms that come with sin don't just harm us, but they harm everyone around us, everyone who's following us as well. Look back at verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Hurl me into the sea. Again, there's so, so much irony in that word. You just notice the beauty of scripture. Hurl me into the sea. And then the sea will quiet down for you. For, and get this, this is the line. For I know it's because of me that this storm has come upon you. Jonah's rebellion didn't just impact him, it impacted everyone around him. The same thing is true for you and me as well. It's because of me that this tempest has come upon you. Guys, when we say no to God, 
we carry the consequences with us and everyone in our wake is brought into those consequences as well. Sin isn't committed in isolation. There's always collateral damage. I watched this documentary on Netflix uh, this past week called Murder Among the Mormons. If you haven't watched it, sorry, I'm going to ruin it. <laughs> Everyone's like, i got to get out of here. Um, it's the story of Mark Hoffman. I'm sorry, guys, just close your ears, okay, uh, if, you don't, if you don't actually want to get it ruined. Um, one of the most gifted, one of the most famous forgers of all time. He'd spent his entire life making up stories, even from, like, schoolboy days. He'd make up these stories so that people would think highly of him and they'd respect him. And he actually uh, came up with forgery methods that fooled the U.S. government when he was 12. This guy was crazy, crazy good at forging. And so he got into forging documents, forged countless documents, thousands upon thousands. To this day, we don't even know how many documents he forged made tons of money, but it grew out of control and he was literally building a Ponzi scheme of his lies. And it was forgery after forgery after forgery and it was all starting to catch up to him and he was about to get caught. And so in the end, he ended up, close your ears, killing two of his partners and then he tried to kill himself as well. Only he survived. He survived the bomb. Thousands of people had been defrauded. One man tells a story. He lost his entire life savings he had invested in Hoffman. Wives were made widows. Children were made orphans. Mark's own family was ruined to this day. His kids have to keep their identity hidden from the public. The wake of destruction that followed Mark Hoffman is almost incalculable. And, and while I know it's an extreme example, okay, you're not master foragers, you're not killing your partners to cover your tracks, the same thing is true of you and me as well. Our sin has consequences, and those consequences impact everyone around us. This is a really sobering reality. It's a lesson that we have to learn. It's a warning that we need to heed. But this leads us to the hope. This isn't where the story ends. See, in this story, in the midst of the storm, there is immense hope. Fourth lesson that we need to see. When we say no to God, there will always be a way back. God doesn't send storms into our lives to break us. He sends storms to bring us back to himself and everyone around us as well. Look back at verse 15 and 16. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Do you know what the end result of the storm was for those sailors? Salvation. <laughs> We're not going to get there today. But do you know what the end result of the storm was for Jonah? Redemption. 
God does not allow us to fall asleep in our sin. He doesn't give us peace in our rebellion. And you know why? Because he wants to bring us back. Storms aren't just an act of judgment. You need to hear this and you need to write this down. Storms are not just an act of judgment. They are essentially acts of mercy too. Psalm 119 is my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. Oh, I could devour that thing over and over and over and over again. It's basically a love song to the word of God. It talks about how incredible the life is that he found in the word. And on the other side of the cross, we know that Jesus is the word. And so it's a love song to, to Jesus. But you know, a couple of times in Psalm 119, you know what David says? He says, if I had not been afflicted, if I had not gone through the storm, if I had not been punished for my sins, I would never have come back to you. Hebrews 12, God disciplines those he loves. God punishes his children so that he can rescue us from our sin and bring us back into his presence. In the parable of the prodigal son, you remember the prodigal son? The younger brother squanders his inheritance on booze and prostitutes and he's so destitute that he finds himself eating with pigs. It's the storm that came along with his sin. And yet, it's in his misery that he remembers the joy of being in his father's presence. Guys, God hurls raging winds at us, not because he wants us to be miserable, but so that in our misery, we will see the emptiness of our sin and we'll go back to him. As one author put it, if sin is self-destruction, the storms that wake us up are the means of redemption. There's an old fairy tale that uh, Tim Keller once shared about a wicked witch who lived in a remote cottage in the deep forest. And I'll, I'll close with Rose, you would turn into stone forever. And you would become a statue and you would be in her sanctuary for the rest of time. Now, in the story, the witch had forced a young girl to serve her. And even though this girl didn't have any power to resist the witch, she began to hate what she was doing. And she began to have pity for all of her victims. And so one day, a young man came looking for a room and looking for some food. And so he was taken in. But the servant girl could not bear to see him turned into stone. And so when no one was looking, she got a bunch of sticks and stones and thorns. And she put them all throughout the bed. <laughs> and of course, the man laid down that night to go to sleep. And... Um, was horribly uncomfortable, to say the least. Every time he turned, he felt a new painful object underneath him. And even though he threw out every single one, every single time, there was always a new one to dig into his flesh. He slept only restlessly, and he rose feeling tired and weary long before dawn. As he walked out of the front door, the servant girl met him and said her goodbyes, and he berated her angrily. How could you let me, a guest, 
have such an uncomfortable night? What kind of crazy person are you? Why would you put thorns and rocks and sticks in my bed? I'm out of here. And he stormed off in anger. To which the girl said under her breath, ah, the misery you know now is nothing like the infinitely greater misery of a comfortable sleep that would have brought upon you. Those were my sticks and stones of love. Satan provides the ship that leads us away from God. Our Father sends the storm that wakes us up and brings us back to Him. So we won't grow so comfortable in our sin that we never wake up, that our hearts are hardened. The goal of discipline is not to condemn and to destroy. The goal of discipline is always to redeem and to restore. It doesn't matter how far you've run. It doesn't matter how much you've done. God is calling you back to himself and he's making you miserable in your sin so that so that he can do so. Are you miserable in your sin? I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in, in this beautiful neighborhood, the, the, the greatest neighborhood in all of Charlotte. They've got all the money. They've got all of the education. They're, they're upwardly mobile. They are climbing the ladder. And they're miserable. We used to live in Uptown at, at the Novel. It's not called Novel anymore. It's got a new name. I don't, I don't know what happened, but we had free wine in our lounge. Um, and so uh, our job was to, to throw parties every, every week for the residents. And we loved that. We met so many people. Almost everyone we knew in that building was constantly inebriated. And it's not because they were having fun. It's because they were miserable. The three-bedroom apartment in that building is $15,000 a month. Two bedrooms, 9,000, 7,000, 5,000. We weren't paying that, by the way. We worked for them so they concessed our rent. Just full disclosure, I'm not making money off of this. So um, I feel like I have to say that <laughs> nowadays for some reason. Um, it was so sad. You could see the emptiness on their faces. Do you feel that? That's a gift from God. You weren't designed to be happy apart from him. You were designed to be with him, and so happiness can only be found in him. And so if you're pursuing happiness apart from him, guys, you're gonna be miserable. It's a promise. If you're having a hard time sleeping at night in your rebellion, it's because God has put his sticks and his stones and his thorns of love in your bed. He wants to wake you up and bring you back. You know what happens when you return? That wake of destruction turns into a wake of redemption. All of those people that you brought into the storm with you, they now see you and your repentance and your restoration and you get to lead them into it too. We just, the providence of God, Daniel just read Psalm 51 during our confession. David, the psalmist, had just stolen his general's wife, got her pregnant, and then killed him 
after his repentance, what does he say? Now, O Lord, let me lead others into this restoration. That's what happens every single time. The storm is not the end of the story. Redemption, healing, and restoration is. So if you're still running, if you're still saying no, come back today. Let this new chapter in your story begin. Let the healing begin, even now.